Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. The one who had received one talent, verse 24, said, Lord, I knew you to be hard, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered, and I was afraid. He was ignorant of the true nature of his Lord. Our Lord is a gracious and merciful and loving and compassionate and forgiving Lord. And this guy's like paralyzed by his fear. Finishing up with Pastor Sam's message, Rejected or Rewarded, we're in Matthew chapter 20, starting around verse 20. Now this message deals with the expectations the Lord has of us and what we are to do and be found doing when He returns. As with all scripture, we should view this through the lens of the goodness and mercy of the Lord that we worship. Let's listen in. There's a great danger to those of us who feel, well, the Lord hasn't given me much. I see what He's doing in you. I see what He's done through them. But he only gave me just this little, the great danger, that we would hide that, that we would bury that, that we would fail to use what he's entrusted to us. You see, when we stand before the Lord and he tests our works, and he will, it won't be this judgment, this, this isn't us again, but we will be at the bema seat of our Lord. And our works will be tried by fire, those things we did for, well, bad motivation, well, false motives, to be seen of men, to be acknowledged of men, to be thought spiritual, they're going to burn up. He calls it wood, hay, and stubble. It will be a refining process, but we will be rewarded for those things we did in the Spirit and motivated by Him. Even a cup of cold water given to one of His in His name, He said, you will by no means lose your reward. So some have five, some have two, some have one. What's the important point? How you use what the Lord has entrusted to you. Not just watching and ready, but working and faithful to use what God has entrusted to you. Now, if it's finances and because talents, well, they did apply it to money and you got to know that the Lord expects a return on his investment. Now, we're living in interesting times. We're one of the richest nations in the world. But if you put your money in the bank, your banker will tell you, well, 2% is not bad. I mean, that's something. Well, not real bad as long as inflation stays below 2%. But if it goes to 3 you're actually losing on your savings. And then your broker or whoever, if you happen to be in that category, he'll say 5 or 6 or 7% isn't bad. Not in this economy, stocks and bonds being what they are. Listen, I want you to hear what the Lord says, well done to 100% return on his investment. Can you imagine? He entrusts 10 grand to you, or let's be realistic, $500 to most of us, and we invest it wisely, and now we have $1,000. What's he going to say? Well done. But I'll tell you how we play with the Lord's money, with his investment, and not just with his money, with all of the talents and investments he's made in us. Well, we live on credit. We're the richest people in the world, and we live on credit. So we make 10000 and we spend fifteen. And if you think, if I could just make fifteen, I'd do better. No. Those who make forty, they spend sixty. And those who make eighty, they spend a hundred and twenty. And what happens? The more you make, the more in debt you go. I'd suggest to you that stewardship financially, well, it begins with understanding that everything we have comes from the Lord. And if you work hard for it, be grateful He gave you the capacity and the ability to do so. But I believe the first 10% should go back to the Lord, that we should be tithers, and that we should have enough to care for our own families, because he says we should, and then we should have an excess to give to the needy and the poor to support the work of missions, that a good man has an inheritance and leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. 
You see, most of us are going to struggle to leave anything because we're so far in debt today. What am I saying? It's not all about money, but since talents, well, they do have a financial application, it's important that we see if we're in debt, we're going backwards. This guy buried the money and didn't gain anything. When we're in debt, we're losing daily. And it's the Lord's investment. It's what he's entrusted to us. But let's get away from money for a moment since lots of us have very little of that and all of us have some talent, some gift, something unique to us that God wants to use for his glory. When he comes, when the test comes, when we stand before him, not here but there, when we get to heaven and our works are tested, he's going to say, okay, I entrusted this to you. There is an application for us. And I want to hear well done. I want to hear good and faithful servant. I want the Lord to be pleased with how I use my time and my energy and, and my enthusiasm. I want him to say, well done, Sam. And, and I'm praying for you that that will be your heart as well. That you'll invest in the kingdom in every single way. Mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, practically. That you'll hear as, well, these two stewards did. Well done, good and faithful servant. Note, they're blessed in at least three ways. They were blessed because the gifts given to them, the assets entrusted to them, were doubled by them. That's a blessing, you see. You got five, you get ten. And when you get to the end of this, he takes the unfaithful servants, one, and he gives it to the one who has ten, not who had ten. It appears he gives the ten back. He says, hey, you did good with the five? Let's see what you can do with the 10. In fact, this guy didn't do anything here. Let's see what you can do with the 11. You see, the first blessing is that the gifts God has given are doubling in the first place. The second blessing is the master's well done. Already mentioned it. We want to hear it. The third blessing is greater opportunity in the future. And if you can get past today or this week or this month or this year, and if you're getting older, well, it becomes easier and easier. If you're young, it is so hard to look past now to the down the road. Everything seems to be about immediacy. And, and really, things should be about eternity. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of business temporally. We have to. But we need to make every decision in light of eternity. We are stewards of all God has entrusted to us. We want to be the best stewards possible. And so whatever talents, whatever gifts, whatever enablements the Lord has given you, there's a call on your life. There are gifts to fulfill it. There is the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to anoint and empower it. And in the midst of all of it, note the unfaithful servant. The one who had received one talent, verse 24, said, Lord, I knew you to be hard, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered, and I was afraid. He was ignorant of the true nature of his Lord. Our Lord is a gracious and merciful and loving and compassionate and forgiving Lord. And this guy's like paralyzed by his fear. He doesn't really know the Lord. He's afraid of the Lord. And so he buries what God entrusts to him. And then he says, well, here's yours. The Lord's rebuke to him couldn't be more radical. You wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew I reap where I've not sown, gather where I've not scattered. He's not acknowledging that's really what he's like. He's simply saying, this is what you perceive me to be. And yet, 
This is what you do. You ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back of my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him, give it to the one who has the ten, and here it is. Everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting to note that the Lord deals with us individually. It's gratifying and, and comforting to know the Lord deals with us individually. He's not going to compare what you accomplish with what anyone else accomplishes. He's just going to say, what did you do with that? I entrusted to you. Well, we see the two parables, and, and they're quite simple. They're quite clear. Be ready. Be watching. Are you ready? Are you watching? The second, of course, be faithful are, and be working. Are you faithful and working? Are you investing in the kingdom and in the things that will last for eternity? Are you people-oriented, focused on, well, you know, don't you? The only thing in this room that will last for eternity, people. Everything else is temporal, destined to burn. We see it and we'll see it. Well, we come finally then to his final prophecy. Not a parable at all. A simple prophecy, once again, of his second coming. Not the first mention of it in Matthew. Not even the first mention in the Olivet Discourse. When he says, the Son of Man comes in his glory, verse 31, and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Now let me tell you before we even read it. Failure to see when this judgment takes place. Well, it's caused so much confusion in the minds of people thinking, well, this, is this our judgment? No, listen. You will be judged at the Bema Seat of Christ. I already mentioned it. Your works will be tested by fire. That happens in heaven after we're raptured. This is a judgment on the earth at the Lord's return. Who are being judged? The nations. That's the same word for Gentiles. It will be not the church, not Israel, but the Gentile nations. What will be the measure of their judgment? It may surprise you. It is going to be how they treated his brethren. Who are his brethren? Well, contextually, specifically, it would be Israel. It will be a judgment on how those... Gentile nations treated and dealt with Israel during the time of tribulation and great tribulation. Now get this, there will be application for us, but I want you to see this theologically. I want you to see what's coming. God made promises to Abraham among them. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And here in the judgment of the nations, the criteria will be this simple. Were they loving witnesses? Witnesses, yeah, because if in fact you're sealed with the Spirit and yielded to the Spirit, well, you're going to be loving people. Why? We know we love God because He first loved us. We know He said, this will be the way all men will know you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. By this will all men know your love for one another. But He also instructs us to love the lost, to love our enemies, and certainly to love Israel. Why? Because He chose and loves Israel. He's regathered them into the land. They will be there in the time of tribulation and great tribulation. And He will use that season after we are going to be with Him in heaven, the rapture. He will use the tribulation to bring millions and millions to Him among the Gentiles, among the Jews, among those left behind. Well, when the Son of Man comes, 
in his glory and the angels with him and sits on the throne of his glory, the throne of his glory. Oh, yeah, there in Jerusalem, he will sit on the throne of his glory. The nations gathered, the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world or from the foundation of the world. Take note of that. Those who are going to say, enter in, come, blessed of my father, they inherit a kingdom prepared before the foundation or from the foundation of the world. That's exactly what is told of us in, in the book of Ephesians, that, that Jesus chose us in, or Father chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we'd be holy and blameless before him in love. We'll be, will we be here at this scene? Oh, yeah. We won't be in the judgment, though. We'll be returning to rule and reign with him. So come, ye blessed of my Father, for the kingdom prepared for you. Make note of it mentally or even mark it. It's greatly important. You'll see why in a moment. Now he begins to explain how their love was demonstrated. And I want you to see, it was practical. It was observable. Well, it made a difference in the lives of, well, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. How they treat his own during the time of tribulation and great tribulation will be the deciding factor. Now, some of you are thinking, no doubt, that sounds like salvation by works. He's saying if you feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick, you take care of the widows and orphans, that will gain you salvation to the kingdom. No, listen. Don't misunderstand. It's not salvation by works. It's salvation that works. We're told, we're challenged. How can we say we love God whom we've never seen if we don't love one another whom we do see? How can the love of Christ be in us if we don't have compassion on the needy around us? And in that time of tribulation, love for the hurting, the oppressed, the wounded. Hey, who is going to be hurting and oppressed and wounded? I suggest to you, if you read Revelation carefully, with an understanding it's literal and future, you can't help but come to the conclusion all nations will be gathered together against one nation. What will that nation be? Israel. And those who protect them and provide for them and bless them, the Lord is going to bless. Why? I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Has the Lord disciplined Israel? Oh, greatly. But has he cast them off forever? No way. And he will be faithful to his promises. Now, he goes on to say, he'll say to those on the left, verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I have that underlined, and here's why. When he spoke of the kingdom, when he speaks of eternal life, when he speaks of the joy of being with him forever, he says, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. When he speaks of those who are cast away from him, sent to a place called hell, to everlasting fire, he says, prepared not for people, but for the devil and his angels. You see, hell was never intended for people. Will people be there? Tragically, yes. But they'll be there not because God didn't love them or provide for them or reach out to them. No, the Holy Spirit is forever knocking on the door of hearts, 
creation itself testifying of God's existence and, and the cross testifying of his love. Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is finished, paid in full, he cries from the cross. And so here's the thing. Those who are cast aside, those who are cast away, they end up somewhere God never intended them to be. Hell is real. Hell is real. Satan will be there. The angels who rebelled with him will be there. And those who continue in their rebellion will be there. Now note the criteria, the judgment at this point. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Note with me a couple of things. Those who did good didn't even realize there was a reward coming. They were shocked, surprised that the Lord was saying, blessed are you and hey, here's, here's your reward. Well, when did we do that to you, Lord, or for you? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren. You see, though, this is talking about a judgment we won't be a part of or in on it still applies to us and here's why. We have opportunity in our day. Not just to minister to Israel, to minister to all who are naked and wounded and in prison and hungry and thirsty and widows and orphans. We have a ministry that ministers our church. Love your neighbor. I love my neighbor. I never get it right. I'll never get it right, but I always draw extra attention to it because of that, Bob. So, But, but we have that ministry. You can participate in it. You can reach out through it. And there are so many other ways to show your love practically. I find it interesting that, that he gives us this criteria because he knows this is something anyone can do. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have a lot. You see somebody hungry, you can feed them. You see somebody who needs clothes, most of us have. Hey, remember he said if you have two coats, give one to... How many of you have only two coats? We have so much. But, but here's the point. This parable isn't given, these parables, those first two, to freak us out or trip us out. No, they're given to encourage us to watch and be ready, to, to be faithful in working. and working. And then this last judgment, this judgment of the Gentiles, it reminds us that, hey, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will judge us on our profession of faith in him. And if we really know his love and we really love him, we're going to love one another. We're going to love the lost. We're going to love uh, Israel. We're going to love those who persecute and hate us. Now, now get this, just a couple other things. If you happen to be among those who believe the church will go through the great tribulation, and I know there are some, and listen, my pastor taught as I do that we will escape that tribulation that's coming on the earth. Pray that you'd be counted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. Jesus told us to pray that. It's a good idea to pray it and prepare for it. But, but here's the deal. If, in fact, you're one of those survivalists, and I doubt that there are many of you, but I'd be shocked if there weren't any of you. Maybe you've got your place up in Idaho, and don't worry, your wife didn't call and tell me. I'm just picking Idaho out of a hat. Maybe it's Montana, wherever, and you've got all your dried goods and your canned goods and your water, and you've got your guns and your ammo. I want you to see something here. If, in fact, you don't really know the Lord, and the rapture happens, and you are left behind, well, you've you, you got to know. 
If you have all that stuff and you don't share, you are just setting yourself up for judgment. Those who hoard in the last days are setting themselves up for judgment. If you have, you've got to share. You can't protect your own. You've got to give. And so here's the deal. If you know the Lord, you're kind of foolishly storing that stuff up because we're all going when he calls us home. If you don't know the Lord, well, you'd better be preparing your heart to share that stuff because you don't want to stand and have him say, I was hungry and you wouldn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. You see, the Lord takes it personally. If you do good, he takes it personally. If you do evil, he takes it personally. So much so that he says to Saul, as Saul is oppressing and persecuting the church there in the book of Acts, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Got to read you one thing out of Philip Yancey's book. It's called Rumors of Another World. What on earth are we missing? Just, just a couple of things and we'll, we'll pray together and we'll share in communion together. Listen to this. Most people in history have experienced this world with its pleasures and pains its births and its deaths and loves and passages as linked to the sacred, invisible world. No longer, or not for many at least, now we are born, play, work, accumulate possessions, relate to one another, and die with no consolation that what we do matters ultimately or has any meaning beyond what we assign it. Jacques Menard bluntly states the modern plight, Man must learn to live in an alien world, deaf to his music, as it is indifferent to his hopes, as it is to his sufferings and crimes. Man at last knows he's alone in the unfeeling immensity of the universe, out of which he has emerged only by chance. Einstein remarked, this modern age has perfect means but confused ends. Physicists have reduced matter to subatomic particles. Software engineers have reduced most of what we know in the world to bits of information. We know how things work, but not why. We seem bewildered, actually, about why anyone makes any given choice, whether to love their kids or beat them, supply for a, or study for a test or binge drink. Why do we act the way we do and make the choices we do? The new science of evolutionary psychology has arisen to assert we simply act out the script of our DNA. Here's sort of his bottom line in this section. Listen carefully. Advocates propose a single principle, the selfish gene, to explain behavior. An evolutionary theorist heralded this insight as the most important advance since Darwin. I do what I do always to perpetuate my genetic material. Even individual acts that do not benefit me personally will benefit my gene pool. In a sour twist, these thinkers view all goodness as a form of selfishness. Altruism, proclaims Edward O. Wilson, is purely selfish. A person acts in an apparently noble way toward the goal of getting some reward. Goodness depends, he says, on lying pretense and deceit, including self-deceit, because the actor is most convincing who believes his performance is real. Challenged to explain Mother Teresa's behavior, Wilson pointed out, believing she would get her reward from Christ, she acted on that selfish basis. Listen, those who say such things, who write such things, who believe such things, they are so ignorant of the purpose of their existence. We were created by and for a loving God. We're not here by chance. And we are headed to an eternal destiny, either with him in glory or separated from him in misery eternally. But we're not working just to hear well done or to be rewarded. No, we love him because he first loved us. We love one another because we're family in Christ Jesus. We love the lost because he loves the lost. 
We love our enemies because he loves our enemies. We love and bless Israel because he loves Israel. We love those who spitefully persecute and despise us because, well, he loves them as well. It's not about rewards and punishment. It's all about the love of God, something this world is in desperate need of. So today, listen, are you watching and ready? Are you a faithful steward of that which God has entrusted to you? And are you lovingly witnessing with your life and all God's given you of his love for the world around? I cannot pretend to understand all things. And sometimes when I read about judgment and end times events, well, frankly, I can get a little dark. It's not that I disagree, I just cannot see all things. However, according to Luke 8.17, it says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And I can rest in the truth that God is perfect, merciful, and just. And in that time, I will then truly understand all of the things that now seem hidden from me. So in the meantime, I can take comfort that even if I don't completely understand why something has to happen, I know that God is good and He is in control. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.